So good morning, y'all. I'm <clears throat> my name is Ed Griffin Hagen. I'm one of the pastors on our staff at my church, and I want to welcome y'all here. I want to welcome our first-time guests because we got folks from all over the place, all over the world. So we send soldiers out of our area so much that they're watching from all over the place. Um, and so I welcome them. Welcome y'all. So we're we're in we're in week three of a series that we uh, started out a couple of weeks ago. Um, it's funny how if we're in weeks three, then it's two weeks ago when we started. But two weeks ago, we talked through uh, the series is what every Christian ought to know. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we talked through the idea, it was about the scriptures, that every Christian ought to know that the Bible is the inspired word of God. It's God's word. And then last week, we talked through um, the idea that every Christian ought to know that they're saved if they're saved. They ought to know that they know that they know that they're saved. The assurance, uh, the assurance of that. And if you're a believer, if you have been born again, you're going to have some birthmarks. And last week we talked about what those birthmarks look like. Today I want to zone in or hone in on one of those birthmarks. We called it the companion test. And it is the way that we, that, that we love each other. It is the way that we are in relationship with each other. <clears throat> and so 1 John uh, 3.14, we talked about this a little last week. 1 John 3.14 says, We know that we've passed from death to life because we love each other. If we've gone from death to life, we're going to love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death, John said. And then in John 13.35, Jesus said, By this... Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. If you love one another, they'll know that you're mine and that I'm yours. And so today, today, every Christian ought to know that love does. Love does. Love, in that sentence, love being a noun and does being a verb, an action verb. So last week, one of the things that we learned was that when... When God's blood-stained hand of grace meets your sin-stained hand of faith, a conception takes place. There's a birth. There's a new birth. You become a Christian. Ephesians 2.8 says, For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. By grace through faith you've been saved. You're saved. You go from death to life. You become a new person. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.17, If you are in Christ then you are a new creation. When you're saved, there's an old you that's dying and there's a new you that's rising. This, the, 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 the body of believers in the whole world, the body of believers are like all new creations living and walking and hanging out with and interacting with and, and, and working with a lot of people that are that are not new creations. A new creation is different than a not new creation. And you should be different than a not new creation if you're a new creation. Does that make sense? They will know you by your love. They will know that you are mine by the way that you love each other. And then Ephesians 5.1, this is where we're going to kind of be today. In, in, at the very beginning of the fifth chapter of Ephesians, Paul says in the first verse, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Therefore, as it always does, the word therefore 
ought to push you backwards in the text to see what, what caused that therefore to be there. And in this case, it's chapter 4, verse 17 through 32, and Paul's talking about new life, and he's talking about being a new creation, and he says, we don't need to walk anymore the way the Gentiles walk. He talks about putting off your old self and putting on a new self that is what? That is created in the likeness of God, Paul says in the end of chapter 4. He says, put away bitterness, and he says, put away anger and be kind and forgive one another as you have been forgiven. Not just forgive one another, forgive one another as you have been forgiven. And so therefore, be imitators of God as his beloved children. Now this is a little bit of a confession, but it's not a confession like something terrible. I, there's a few things that I love. Clearly, I love the Lord. Clearly, I love my wife. Outside of that, I love college football. I love it. The dogs won yesterday. I just, I love it. I love it. I hope that was for the dogs. Okay, okay, okay. Don't hate. I love it. And, and I was on YouTube looking at some videos in the last, well, it was last week actually. And I, and I ran across some uh, game day, ESPN game day videos and, and one of them had a guy named Frank Caliendo. If any of y'all have ever heard of Frank Caliendo, he's, a, he's an impersonator. And I love the way, I love impersonators. And this kind of blended college football and an and impersonator. And uh, Caliendo, how many of y'all raise your hand if you've heard of Frank Caliendo? Some of you have. You're fixing to see him. And so I'm going to try to work this into the message because it's just funny and it cracks me up and it blends the two things that I really do. Love, so y'all watch this. I think it's hilarious, so you should laugh just to make me happy, I guess. <laughs> and there he is, our friend Frank Caliendo, who joins us now. Uh, find out about the upcoming shows. Give me a little Morgan Freeman about what we're doing. Ah, uh, yes. As I entered the stage, ready to begin this college. <laughs> ESPN, nothing was better than meeting young Pacino. Let's take a look here. We got Michigan against Michigan State. This is a big one. Michigan, undefeated. They're going to stay undefeated. I'm going with the khakis. That's going to be close. Charles Barkley. I think that, 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 that it's going to be a very easy game for my guys. <laughs> you're, you're going to have to be a knucklehead to pick against all <laughs> Don't be a knucklehead, Lee. No, no I won't. Don't like be a knucklehead. I'm going with Tennessee. Corso. <laughs> Not so fast, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> Clemson. Who did you pick? Give me a second to take I gotta take a nap here for I'm back. Where's my pencil? I haven't seen it in a there it is. That's the biggest that's what that's how you pick winners. President Bush. Well, uh they say uh don't mess with Texas. <laughs> but today Baylor's going to, and they're going to win. Uh-huh. <laughs> Not so fast, President wait, wait, Bush. Wait a second. So what do you think, Coach Madden? I mean, you think of all the teams that are playing today and all the teams that aren't playing today, and the only teams that you're picking today are the teams that are playing. <laughs> I mean, I'm going with Oklahoma State. Boom, there you go. So he says, therefore, be imitators of God. Be imitators of God. 
and I'm just fascinated by these impressionists too. And so this week I wanted to study how do they do how do they do what they do. And I watched a guy. His name is Jim Meskiman. I think I pronounced that right. His name is Jim Meskiman. He's got some videos on how to be an impressionist, and I played around with it, but I ain't no good. But I wanted to learn how do they do what they do, because that word that and that word imitator in the Greek it's mimites, and, and it's where we get our word mimic from. So we're to mimic God. Paul says to mimic God, to see what He's like, to see what He does, and to see how He does it and how He acts, and then to mimic Him. So every Christian is called to be uh, to be an impersonator of God. And you can say, I'm learning how to do an impression of God. And the first thing that this guy, Jim Eskimen, says when you're learning how to do this, to get good at doing this, the first thing he says is you really got to like, you got to admire the one that you're going to imitate. You got to admire that person. And he says, because it's going to be difficult to do a good impersonation if you don't admire the person because you're going to have to spend a bunch of time with them and you're going to have to watch them and you're going to have to study them and you're going to have to listen to them. So the first thing that you need to do is you've got to like, you've got to admire this person that you're going to imitate. And Paul says, I want you to become an imitator of God as his beloved children. I want you to make God's activities the pattern of your life. He says, here's the beautiful thing about God. He's become a father to you. Through the work of Christ on that cross, he's become a father and you've become his children and you are, you, you've entered into his family and you're now the children of God. Not the tolerated children of God, no. The beloved children of God. The father loves you. His heart goes out to you. You're the object of his affection. He has compassion towards you. And as children who are loved by him, he has our hearts. He has our admiration. We're awed by his greatness. We're awed by his grace and and his mercy and, and his love because he's so big and he's so loving and he's so merciful, we just naturally desire to be like him. And it's like, a little, it's like a little child, a little son who looks up to his dad and he sees his dad's strength and he sees his dad's kindness and he sees how his dad loves him and cares for him and he says, I want to be like you, daddy. And he ends up imitating his dad. He wants to walk like dad and talk like dad and be like dad and fix stuff like dad. He's got these little Fisher-Price tools and a little tool belt and he wants to fix the stuff like his dad. My kids... Both had this little, I think it was Little Tykes or Fisher-Price lawnmower. And when I'd be cutting the grass, you know, they're four years old, and they were running that little lawnmower right behind me because they want to they work like Dad, and they want to they be like Dad. And Zach, my oldest son, who's 26 now, who if he's watching, and he very well may be this morning, I'm going to get a phone call this afternoon. He's about three and a half years old, I think. Um, and and he, we had this room in our house. It was a, was a playroom, and it had its own bathroom and he was about three, three and a half years old, and he was in the bathroom, and he was on the potty with the door open. I don't know why that child used to, he never closed the door to the bathroom. I hope he does today. But when he was three and four and five and six, he'd go in the potty, and he's sitting on the potty at three and a half years old, and he's sitting there, and he's got in his hands the, the, 
this would have been the 1995 Synovus Annual Report. <laughs> Upside down, and he's got it open, and Susan walks in, into that room and looks in there, and she's like, Zach, what are you doing? And he said, I'm reading my reports like Daddy does. <laughs> so they want to be... They want to be like their dad. And, and uh, a, little girl, a little girl wants to be like her mom, and little boys want to be like their, their father when their father is a, is a good father and a loving father and a caring father. And, y'all, we have the very best father ever. Our heavenly father, when we look at him and we see that he's perfect and he's good in every way and we are his beloved children and we look up to him and we admire him and we want to be like him and Paul says be an imitator of that guy and if you don't admire God you probably don't know God and if you don't know God you're not going to you're not going to imitate him so the first step in learning how to impersonate is to be more and to, and to be more like God is to consider him and his greatness and his wisdom and his mercy and his kindness so that our hearts would be wooed by him and we would admire him and esteem him and we'd say, yeah, I, w- I want to be like him. So step number one is to admire the one that you're mimicking. According to Jim Meskimon, step one, admire the one you're mimicking. And step two, according to him, in doing a good uh, impression of someone is to identify uh, the characteristic or the trait the main characteristic or trait this person has and then exaggerate it. It's like George Bush's squinty little eyes. That's how y'all started laughing before he said a word because you can just look at his face and know he's doing a George Bush because of his eyes. Al Pacino's eyes, um, John Madden's voice, whatever that is, and, and Caliendo's good at exaggerating uh, this trait. And Paul says, imitate God as his beloved children. And then he gives this next word, and, in verse 2, the beginning of verse 2. Well, and what? When you're looking at a passage in the Scripture, when there's a conjunction, conjunctions join, conjunction, junction, any of y'all watch that? (laughs) Conjunctions join kind of two thoughts. And so be an imitator of God. Not just to be an imitator of God. Well, why do you want to be an intimidator of God, I just said? You're probably not going to intimidate him. Be an imitator of God and what does verse 2 say? And walk in love as Christ loved and gave himself up for us as a, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. And here's what Paul is saying. If you're going to do an impression of God, if you're going to, Imitate your heavenly father. Here's the characteristic trait that you need to focus on and exaggerate and hone down in on, and it is his love. If you will learn to love, you will do an impression of God. Walk in love, Paul says. The Net Net Bible translation says live in love. Walk in love, live in love. So the attribute of God that we want to imitate is his great love. We are his beloved children. We know him. We know his love. We've, we've received his love. We understand it. And, and now we want to imitate that great love 
out in a lost and dying world. And so he says, walk in love. Let, let love control your life. Let the characteristic pattern, the habits, let the characteristic pattern of your life be love. And then Paul gives us in this verse, verse 2, he gives love a standard. What's the bar on love? What does it mean to love? He answers. He says and he tells us to love like Christ loved and gave himself up, to love sacrificially, to let love guide and direct our action. Verse 2 says that in love he saw my need and he met my need. He sacrificed, the text says, for us. He sacrificed for us and he met a need, my need, that I could not satisfy myself. Y'all get that? You're going to try to satisfy the need yourself. You can't. He steps up to the plate and satisfies that need. He saw my weakness and my inability to satisfy that need, and he stepped in and he took care of it. That's the kind of love that Paul says in these first two verses that we need to imitate. It's selfless. It's sacrificial. It is suffering. It is a love that's willing to forgive and help and serve and give and lose for the sake of another human being. And so how does that sort of love flesh itself out? And I think it happens in three places. The first place it happens, and this is in your worship God, I think, the first place it happens is in our homes. We can talk about loving all day long, but here's the number one place that it probably gets fleshed out, under your roof and under my roof with spouses loving each other sacrificially, with kids loving and respecting parents and parents loving their kids, sacrificially loving each other and walking in that kind of love with each other. And I've been talking a lot over the last week or so with a friend of mine about this idea of dying to self, dying to ourselves so that we can live following in the footsteps of, of Jesus who died for us so that we can live. Like we can, we can ask ourselves, would you be willing to die for Jesus? If it, came, if it really came right down to it, would you? Would you be, be willing to, to deny yourself even life so that you could be faithful and remain faithful to him? It's the idea that Jesus gives us that he's calling us to pick up our cross and die to ourself and follow him. And as I was preparing for today, I thought that it would be hard to, to, to say that we would die for Jesus. Remember, we're talking about in our homes. It would be hard to say that I would die for him if I won't even get up off the couch and do the dishes. Now, that probably sounds trivial. But I'm, hang with me, I'm making a point. And it's not like doing the dishes is like training for martyrdom. It's, it's, it's not that it's that difficult. It's not. We have machines today that do those things. But here's what it is. It is a death to self. It is a death to my own comfort. It's a death to my laziness. It's a death to my own control to get up off the couch and go in the kitchen and see a need and meet that need. Y'all get that? It's not the big deals. It's not the big things. And if I don't have the kind of love that would get up off the couch and go do the dishes, there's a pretty good chance that I'm not going to take one on the chin for Jesus, I don't think. And so it's not the big things. It's little things. 
it's the daily significant ways that we can demonstrate our love to people by meeting, seeing a need and meeting that need. For me, my struggle is closing cabinets. And maybe that's a gender thing. Maybe, I don't know. I don't know. We have a, a, a friend of ours that's living with us right now while he's trying to uh, uh, get a place to live. And, and uh, he's kind of a neat freak. And it drives him crazy that I, I leave the cabinets open. And Susan, my wife Susan, said, I've been married to that man for 30 years. He's never closed a cabinet in his life. I repent of, not, of being a closet cabinet lever opener. I don't know. But it is kind of lazy, and I need to get rid of that. And this sounds like such a big deal, but it's not. Get up off the couch and go close a cabinet at the end of the day. But here's what it is. It is giving and loving and serving and sacrificing and encouraging and helping just walk in a little bit in self-denial and walking in love. Y'all, love does. And sometimes love does the dishes. Sometimes love does close the cabinets. That kind of went together. So it starts in our home, and then it happens in this house, this house that we call my church. When we learn to love the people of God where we see a need in our body and we meet that need. And are there needs in this household of faith right here? Yes, there are needs. And y'all may not realize this, but Brooke Salmon, who's our My Kids director, and Rose Mishkoff, who is our My Tots director, virtually been a year since either one of them has sat in a worship experience, in a worship service, because they're in there serving your children. There's plenty of our volunteers. They call it pulling a double. What does that mean? That means they are in there teaching the next generation of Jesus freaks, like as if this is not an important thing that's going on in there. But there's plenty of people that are, having to, uh, that are volunteering, that are pulling doubles, that don't get to come in here. And corporate worship is important. We are better together. We are better being in relationship with each other. We are better worshiping the Lord together. God gives us this perfect model of that in His nature, in His triune nature, the Trinity, this beautiful dance of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit that has been going on for eternity is the perfect model of being in relationship with each other. We need that. We need to worship Him together. Does that mean that if you don't come to a worship service that you're lost? Of course it doesn't mean that. But it is, but we're better together. That's about all I can say is that we're better together. And so do we have needs? Yeah, we have needs. We have needs all over the place. We have opportunities all over the place. And we should be serving each other. In both the my, t- uh, the, the, uh, the my tots and the my kids areas, the children's areas in the church, 10 or 11 opportunities to serve in each of those areas. There's opportunities at the connections desk to volunteer at the cafe, on the greet team, um, opportunities to serve at the production table in the back, and and even on the stage as a a member of our worship team. So we should be loving on and serving and sacrificing and encouraging and helping each other. So it happens in our homes, and then it happens in this house, in this house that we call my church, but then it also, it happens out in the harvest. It happens out in the world, out in a, in a broken, 
messed up, dirty world where we see people in need and we meet that need. We move ourselves towards that need. We don't run away from that need. We move ourselves toward it. And we become willing to to do for others physically what Christ did for us spiritually. Are we willing to do that? He delivered us from spiritual poverty. Will we do the same thing about the poverty of others, the physical poverty of others? Paul said in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, he said, for you, he's talking to believers, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, you the believer, for your sake, he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. So Jesus died to enrich us, to rescue us out of poverty. Would we be willing to sacrifice to release somebody, someone else out of their poverty? He clothed us when we were dressed in filthy, disgusting rags. He clothed us in his robe of righteousness. When we were spiritually starving, he was the bread of life and he nourished us. When we were, when we were just so thirsty, he was the living water that gives life to us. Are you and I, are we willing to provide food and water to those who are physically hungry and thirsty? He calls us to love like that and to put our actions to work. He calls us to, to, to love like that and to put action to that love, to put, to put stuff, to put doing things to that love. Why? Because authentic, genuine love does. It does. Don't say it doesn't because you're deceived. And the, the deceiver is going to get in your ear and say, no, 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 no. All it is is just you just need to love. But, yeah, but I'm telling you, God tells us if you love, then you do. And when we do that, we're acting out our love for the Lord that John says is in us. It lives inside of us. And in 1 John 3, 16, uh, those three verses, 16, 17, and 18, John said, this is how we know what love is. And he says, this is the model of love. This is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And then verse 17 if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech but with actions and in truth. And all he's saying is walk the talk. Don't say it and then go do nothing. If you say it and go do nothing, you're a liar. Do you get that? He says walk the talk. And if you want to imitate God, you imitate him through his love. You imitate his love through serving. You love and you serve in your home and you love and you serve in this house and you love and you serve out yonder in the streets. Y'all, there are people out in the streets, out in the world with massive physical needs. And how do we as Christ followers, how do we walk in love and not be focused on our own individual needs? How do we embrace a simple lifestyle to maybe create some financial margin so that we can use some of those resources 
to relieve the physical suffering of another human being. So today is Compassion Sunday. Compassion International for just like under 40 bucks. I think it's $38. You can feed and clothe and educate and care for vulnerable children in some of the absolute most, the, 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 the most neediest places on the planet. And the beautiful thing about Compassion International is that they're releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name. They're not just releasing children from poverty, period. They're releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name. They're breaking the cycle of that poverty. They're rescuing children out of that. And so this morning we've got Compassion International out in the foyer and you'll have the opportunity to, for just under 40 bucks to sponsor one of those children and and, and again, it'll provide food and clothes and medical care and, and education for about $38. And, you know, last weekend when my kids were here, we went to eat after church to, to Red Robin. We got some hamburgers. We didn't go get filet mignon or something. We got some hamburgers. Well, what did it cost us? About 40 bucks, about 42 or $3. And what that $40 can do in other parts of our world is insane. The way that that can release a child and break them out of that cycle of poverty and help to rewrite. You know what? When that child's life, future, gets rewritten, it is rewriting their great-grandchildren's grandchildren. grandchildren. You get that? It's not just their life. And they're released from that poverty in Jesus' name. Does every one of them get saved? I don't imagine so. But I imagine the odds skyrocket when when Compassion International steps in the odds skyrocket that they do get saved. Well, what do you think the odds are that their great-grandchildren's grandchildren are believers if they get saved? They go up. Does that, does that make sense? And so you are doing this in Christ's name. And, and, and I want to call Tony and Liz Borelli up because this whole Compassion Sunday thing was, is their idea. They've been sponsoring kids for, for many years. Um, and I, just want, I, want to, I want you all to hear from them. Let's move this too. And so I want to add, you got the mic. Um, let me, I want to ask y'all um, just a couple questions. You know, how did you, uh, how did y'all get involved in, in Compassion International with sponsoring a kid? I've been a Compassion sponsor for about 18 years. I got signed up when I was attending a singles Bible study at North Point Church in Alpharetta called 722. It was on a Tuesday night that I got signed up, but... Um, from when I was fairly young, I, um, I'm a second-generation immigrant. My parents are, Phil- are well, were from the Philippines, um, and I was born here in the States with a silver spoon in my mouth. And uh, I can remember the last time we went to the Philippines, a very vivid picture of small children that were basically emaciated, being naked and asking for money and food in the streets. And I have always thought there is a very small difference from myself and them. And it's just the luck of where are you born and who are your parents. And so I've been a sponsor since then. Um, I've had three different compassion children that I've sponsored. It's not all been where everything's perfect with them. My first child was 15 when she was married off. And, you know, breaking that cycle of poverty is hard. Um, my current child that I'm sponsoring, he turned 18 a couple of days ago, and he'll age out of the program in a couple of years. 
and to see the difference of where the, his, he and his family have come from, where there were health problems in his family, his mother wasn't doing well, and they're, they're all thriving now. And he's a believer, right? Yes, yes. In, in my case, I knew about Compassion through Liz and made a couple of modest donations. And at one point, they sent a letter in the mail with a picture of a six-year-old girl. Her name is Tumakunde from Rwanda. You know, asking me if I would be willing to uh, to sponsor her you know, packets that are very similar to the ones that we've got out in the foyer. And as soon as I saw it, I just immediately felt challenged by God to uh, you know, step up to the plate and do everything that Ed has been talking about here and really didn't have to think about it much beyond that. What, what have y'all, um, like what have you liked about it? And not that it's about you need to like it, but that's, it's a fair question. What have y'all, how has it gone, and what have you sort of liked about doing it because you've been doing it for a while? Um, for me, just knowing that, again, that you can break that cycle of poverty and already having that experience with my two previous um, compassion children that things don't always work out. And, you know, now I've had um, the, the current child that I'm sponsoring, is, I mean, he's becoming a man, and knowing that he's gone from a fairly difficult place to he he became a christian about five years ago and i remember getting the letter from him that said that he gave his life to christ and um just watching the growth even just from the change of handwriting from their when they're younger to because you get when you get letters you they're translated for you but you get things that they've drawn they they draw you pictures they write you your letters and just seeing that you know this this small child is now becoming a man um, I think that's the thing that I've liked about it the most. And I know in the in last service you said that he <clears throat> was probably going to end up being a leader. Yes, this yeah. is he's, from Ecuador? He's, yes, he's from Ecuador, and I expect that he'll be a leader in the program because, I mean, he's, he's a great kid. And, you know, just hearing his story and getting to know him a little bit more through the years, um, it's been pretty awesome. Um, you know, assuming that there's – people and I would imagine that there are people sitting out there that are uh, maybe I want to do this maybe I don't want to do this I'm hoping that every one of y'all want to do this what uh what how would you speak to that you know what is it that that would make them really want to do this and make a difference as for me whenever I wondered about you know giving money to charity I've always thought you know what is this money actually going towards and is it actually making a difference well with this program you know exactly who it's going towards, and you know that it's making a difference because through your sponsorship, this kid is in the program and is a full-fledged member of it as opposed to not. Okay. Compassion has always been very transparent. Um, when a lot of things with donation programs were um, kind of looked shady and, and it looked like funds were being misused, um, I remember that the initial, um, the initial, I guess, president of, um, compassion. You know, at one point they basically sold his house and he moved into a trailer behind the main building. And so, again, they're very transparent. Every year we get a sheet of where finances have gone to, what it goes to. Um, less than 20%, I think, goes towards, you know, basically running the, running the organization and everything else goes towards these communities um, around the world. And I think, don't you, one of the handouts that you have in, out there at the table, it has that info yes. on it, doesn't yes. it? Yeah. So that's out there. They are a solid ministry. I mean, solid as the day is long. Um, y'all give 
Tony and Liz uh, a hand. Thank you all very much. So, you know, all of this is really about imitating God. It really is. That's the way that Paul said it in Ephesians, uh, in Ephesians 5. But you can't imitate him if you don't know him, right? You can't. We've talked today about how sacrificial, we talked a lot today about how sacrificial love plays out, how sacrificial love fleshes itself out in the world. And y'all, the greatest, the absolute greatest act of sacrificial love in the history of the world happened on a cross in the Middle East 2,000 years ago. That's the model. That's the model. When Christ died on that cross, and he died on that cross as a sacrifice, a willing sacrifice, he died on that cross so that we may live. And Paul says, for us. Throughout Paul's writings, for us. He died for us, for you. That's the phraseology kind of that he uses. And so if you don't have a relationship with him today, it's going to be difficult to imitate him. If you don't have a relationship with him today, I'm asking you to start a relationship with him today. I'm saying um, let that, 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 that bloody hand of grace and your sin-stained hand of faith, let them get together today. He wants to save you. He loves you. Your heavenly Father can love you and wrap his arms around you with a love like is, is unimaginable. And that is what, and it makes no sense. Because in this world, we have this idea that we get what we deserve. And this is the total opposite of that. He loves you in the middle of you being absolutely unlovable. But that's, and that again is the kind of love that we are to imitate when Paul says be an imitator of God. So if you don't know him today, I'm asking you to get to know him today. So if y'all would close your eyes maybe and, and bow your heads. And so, you know, if you made that decision today, if you said, you know what, I do want to be an imitator of God. I can't because I got to know him first. And so today is the day where I do want to know you. Today, Lord, is the day that I'm going to make you <clears throat> the leader and the forgiver of my life. Today is the day um, that I had a foot and a half in the grave and you jumped down and you acted and you met my need that I couldn't satisfy myself. You may be saying to yourself, I've been trying to satisfy myself for 45 years and today may be the day that you realize that you can't. Today's the day where you just believe and you understand that he stepped in for you and satisfied that need. So if that happened today, just say that prayer to yourself or out loud, it don't matter, that today is the day, Lord, that I want to do that. So y'all can uh, uh, open your eyes, raise your heads up. You know, if that happened, three things that I want you to do and I'll be quick. On that connection card, let us know that happened. If it happened, let us know that happened that you were saved today. Check that little box and put it in the offering bucket so that we can walk that journey with you, number one. Number two, um, if that happened, or even if that has happened any time in your life and you've never been baptized, you need to get baptized. Does the baptism save you? Absolutely, it does not save you. But should you be baptized? Absolutely, you should. 
it's an obedience thing and it's an outward profession of faith and so we want you we're doing that next week and if you want to do that let us know that too and number three I really really want to encourage you to stay around and be here at 1230 have a little bite to eat and go and begin this uh, step journey with us the next this Sunday and the next three Sundays let me say a quick prayer and I was going to say I was going to call Richard up but he's here Lord we love you today we thank you so much for your mercy Lord we thank you that that you really did step in to our place you stepped in and took the hit for us and we fight it so much we fight it like we can do it ourselves and if we would just believe that you have stepped in and taken it for us man what kind of peace there is in that and so Lord we thank you for that and Lord I thank you for this body of believers that call my church home Lord I thank you for every one of their hearts their their servant spirit their servant hearts Um, Lord I thank you for them Lord I ask you to bless their families um, to, to keep them safe as we go out into the workplace and into the world this week and Lord we lift it all up to you in Jesus name Amen